I would like to welcome you this morning to this gathering of Crossway Christian Church. And if you do not know, I am one of the past one of the three pastors here. My name is Richard. I'd also like to let you know that Pastor John has left the country. Pastor Joe has left the state. And both of those acts were nothing less than honorable. And if you're visiting with us this morning, I would ask that you would be willing to fill out a a guest card that you will find in front of you, in the seat in front of you. And on the back side of that also is a prayer request card that you can fill out also. And those can be put in the collection plate uh, later on in the service. And those of you that are our guests, we ask that you feel no obligation uh, to put anything other than that in that offering when it passes. This morning, we're going to continue in uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Pastor Joe started last week telling us uh, about Solomon, the author. And he informed us that and all that we're going to be talking about in the next three weeks is this thing called wisdom. And he also said that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that is truly where wisdom comes from. Wisdom is a characteristic of the one true God. It is his nature. And by that, we want to understand everything in his word is spoken wisdom and can give us that wisdom if we are willing to accept it. I have a new book. That's rare for me. But Denise and I uh, have been building our library, and the name of this book is Munz's Complete Expository Dictionary. It's a great tool. And looking it up, when you see wisdom... And ask what a definition for it. It says, wisdom denotes the capacity to not only understand something, but also to act accordingly. It is the latter that separates wisdom from knowledge. We heard that. And hopefully we understand that. So if that's what we were talking about last week, and and Pastor Joe unfolded that, that we're gaining knowledge, it would be then in the line of thinking as the chapter goes on, what would the author think is that important that we should look at with this knowledge? Well, we might think that it would be hunger. Hopefully you have started on your time of Uh, reading the Bible, and hopefully there's others together this morning that are in the two-year program that we're doing, and we're in Genesis. And we saw in there that Abram, before he became Abraham, left and went to Egypt because there was famine. Food was that important that he had to act. If this author... Solomon, who has gained all this wisdom, don't you think that that might be what he would focus on and say, 
hunger affects everybody or can, let's do something about it. But that's not it. How about peace? Here again, the king of the most powerful nation in the world at that time must understand how important peace is. Just a chapter before in Genesis that we read about this week, we see how God came down when futile man was building the Tower of Babel and spread language between them and said, you didn't listen to me. I said, separate and inhabit the world. King Solomon must have thought, with my power, I can bring peace and unity to people. But that's not it. So what did he go on to tell us about what we're going to be looking at today? It comes down to one verse that we will be looking at today. My son, if sin entices you, do not consent. That's verse 10 of where we'll be looking today. My son, if sin entices you, do not consent. Sinners have one thing on their mind, sin. And if sinners are enticing you, what do they want to do? They want you to join them in their sin. This is what Solomon has said. We are going to take this knowledge that we have and we're going to look at sin. We're going to know what to do and not do about it. But what is sin? So that we understand where we're going with this, I go back again to the dictionary, and it says, sin as a verb is to miss the mark. The mark was set by God himself. Anything short of what he has told us is missing his mark. Sin as a noun means... It can refer to evil or wickedness, iniquity, guilt, rebellion, offense, transgression. Hopefully we understand and see what sin is. We could spend the whole time speaking and saying what different sins might be. But we want to see how wisdom, how wisdom can overpower sin. If you would, please. Take your copy of God's Word, and we're going to be reading from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. If you do not have a Bible with you, there is one uh, in a pew or under the chair in front of you, and it would be found on page 527. Follow along as I read from God's Word. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like soul, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with, with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. 
We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way of them. Hold back your feet from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But those men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. The reading of God's word. First of all, we have to understand as we look at this, that fathers and mothers are given the responsibility of equipping sons and daughters. We find that in verses 8 and 9. Again, we have to draw attention to our author, Solomon, the most powerful man in the world at that time. The same man that when asked by God, what do you want? He said, I want wisdom. I want to understand your ways. I want to know who you are and your precepts. And his answer to his son is, listen to your mother and your father. Now, one thing that we have to understand that when we come together this morning and we're looking at that verse, there's many among us that are fathers and mothers. But we have to put ourselves first and foremost as one of the sons and daughters of who Solomon is speaking to. And by doing that, we understand that we're all susceptible to what can happen when sin entices us. There is definitely a war going on, and it's between Solomon trying to hold back his son from those that would drag his son down. We have to understand also that for at this time in history, for Solomon to even mention a mother in her role is very unique. Yes, mothers were there, and they had that part of raising and nurturing children, but it wasn't give, they weren't given credit for it. But Solomon says that it is a two-person job. And each son and daughter is to listen to the instruction of his parents and take heed. What will he use as that tool to do that? I'm sure that Solomon was wise enough that if he relied on God, he's also going to ask that God equip him to be able to tell his sons and daughters the same truths. But when this happens, what we see here is is that we know that they're going to be enticed. And how do we deal with that? Well, Every time that we have opportunity, we, do our, we are to equip those that are in our charge. We must be willing to spend time with them. And what he says is, the past tense, almost for the mother end of it, 
since you've already heard the instructions, when you're out in the world and doing things, don't forget. Always remember what was taught to you. And then it goes on to say something about that there's going to be garlands and necklaces and there's going to be a, be a reward. Well, does that mean that what these children are going to see, this son, is that if you do what we instruct you to do, we're going to buy you something. You're going to be able to wear it. You're going to see that it's very precious. We want you to have something. No, it's not a physical thing. But we have to remember what we're talking about here is the commandment that says, Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, and thou mayest live long on the earth. There is a promise that goes along with accepting the instruction of parents. I don't completely understand what it means that you will live long on the earth. Evidently, it doesn't mean that it has to be years because like so many Proverbs, that doesn't necessarily guarantee long life. At a bare minimum, I would say that it means that we are going to have a life of less trouble, a life that is full of time with loving parents and in a relationship that is not strained. That would be living long on the earth to me. Next, we have to understand association with sinners is the path to sin itself. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 16. What's at stake? The very lives of his son. That's a pretty endearing term when we refer to one of our children as our son or our daughter. It's usually with pride and love. And Solomon is saying that to him. He said, My son, as sinners entice you, do not consent. I think one of the key words that we have to look at is what is enticing. We are now going to apply some of this wisdom which others are going to say can be overdone by enticement. In Judges chapter 14, there's this gentleman by the name of Samson. And Samson, in a lot of ways, can really be used as a great bad example. And what's going on in chapter 14 is he has given his enemies, the Philistines, a riddle. And he says, if you can solve this in seven days, I'm going to give you things. But you're, you're pretty much all fools, so you're not going to do it anyway. They came back and wanted to find out what that riddle was. So in verse 15, they went to... Uh, Samson's wife. This is what they said. On the fourth day, they said to Samson, Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is. 
lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? Do you see what's at stake here? The ultimatum is either you do what we tell you to do or your house is going to get burned down and use this thing called enticing your husband. Who more could entice a spouse than the other spouse? This is what's happening to sinners toward our sons and daughters. Another example, Jeremiah, a prophet of God, called out by him to deliver a message that in chapter 20 earned him a beating and time in jail. Has he been enticed? Has he been brought into something that all that's going to happen is this type of conduct toward him? Listen to what he says in verse verse 7 of chapter 20. O Lord, you have deceived me. I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day, everyone mocking me. Deception is what we have to be able to equip our children to understand and see. Sin is just that. But we must also understand that it says, do not give your consent. Consent constitutes sin. Unless we say okay to the sin, it won't happen. David saw and lusted and took action. He consented to his sin. Joseph was in a situation, resisted, and was saved. That's the difference. Tempters can only tempt. They cannot make us follow through. From the devil on down, from the Garden of Eden, when the serpent came to Eve herself, he could not force her. We have a will to resist. But what does that tempter, what do these sinners offer the son and daughter? It's pretty graphic, folks, if you look at it and understand what's going on there. They're talking about blood, willing to take somebody's life. And the tool that they're going to use is an ambush. Do you grasp what an ambush is? Let me explain it to you. A force, a group of individuals that chooses to take on and annihilate their enemy will set a trap. An ambush is great when it takes and makes a V-shape on a path or a known way that the enemy is going to travel, and as they walk into it, they have no place else to go other than into the middle of it. An ambush that that is done well 
can also close behind them, and there is no escape. You either remove from your enemy what you want of theirs, or you take their life. That's what it's saying that the tempter wants to do to our sons and daughters. And for what? They call it precious goods. How can anything that we have taken for somebody else willing to shed their blood can be precious goods? It can only be spoiled and stolen goods. And what is asked or told of his son? You do this and you will be part of the crowd. That's big today, to be part of a crowd. We, we call them gangs. They, they, we think that they're more popular today than ever, but they've been always around. Gangs are there. If we do not equip our sons and daughters to have the knowledge and wisdom to avoid them, they will gladly equip them and take them over for us. We also must understand, we heard about it in Sunday school, that there is a path. It's a term that's used a lot. And we must safeguard the path that we're going to go down. As individuals, as fathers and mothers, equipping our sons and daughters, the path of righteousness is narrow. We know that. The Bible tells us that the path of destruction is wide. But if we're going to ask our children to be on that path of the narrow and the righteous, We must be involved in their lives. We must understand that when we are willing to let them leave the house and they're they're going to go someplace else, we ask them questions. Questions like, well, where are you going? How are you getting there? What, What time are you going to be back? But the one question, the most important question that we can ask them is who else is going to be there? Because who they come in contact with is going to influence them. And we want to understand and know the names that they're giving us uh, reveal something about the time that they're going to spend. Now, I realize that when we talk to children and ourselves, thinking that we have to remember that we are who the topic of this uh, message was for, we have to understand that when we ask them, supply me names, they're not going to come back with names like, um, well, Jack the Ripper will be there, and Darth Vader will probably be there, and this guy by the name of Bernie Mader, I'll be uh, hanging around with him for a while. No, it's not going to be as easy to understand that there's going to be murderers and there's going to be people that have evil intent and those that have been convicted of embezzling and are cheaters. But if we hear names that we don't know, 
and they're part of families that we don't really have any contact with, maybe our answer has to be, um, for right now, I, I think that it's better if those people would come over here so we could get to know them better, so we could understand who they are to have a better decision the next time. So the answer might be, no, don't go there. And finally, we have to understand that quoting God's word itself, the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. We see in verses 17 through 19 that in all that has happened, in the schemes that were laid down, in the ambush that was set, the true one that was caught and ended up losing their lives were those that planned and were undertaking it to begin with. Destruction will lead to our death. God's Word gives sometimes uh, examples and stories that when we look at them, it doesn't look like there's much there. But How great is his wisdom? Look at what it says about the bird and the net. I'd like to read from you what Charles Bridges says. The sight of danger, when possible, I'm sorry, the sight of danger leads, when possible, to avoiding it. Instinct directs the bird, reason the man. Yet such is the uh, infatuation of sin that man in his boasting wisdom will not do what the bird will do by their native instinct. She shuns the net spread in her sight. Man rushes to it. These men thirsted for their neighbor's blood, but in the end they laid wait for their own. They lurked privily for the innocent without cause but it proved to be lurking for their own lives. We must not allow ourselves to be put in that situation. But one thing else that we have to understand when we look at God's word in these verses, it says... That, there's, that they were greedy for unjust gain. We can't confuse what unjust gain is. Is all gain unjust gain? Absolutely not. And an example that would be close to this time period of when Solomon lived, one of the basics that you would have would be wheat. You have a bag of wheat. And in that bag, you have enough that you could eat it as it is. I don't know if you've ever taken just wheat and and eaten it. It's actually pretty good. Or you could take that wheat, you could grind it up, make flour, and probably have enough for a couple loaves of bread. Or you can take that sack of wheat You can prepare a field 
plant it, watch over it. God will give water and rain. We remove the weeds, knowing the difference between the weed and what the wheat looks like, and we cultivate it. And when the crop comes in, we have enough to fill a wagon. That's gain. That's honest gain. And what we see in Proverbs, it, it rewards us and says, this is what you're after. You want gain, but we do not want, will not accept, and are saying to our sons and daughters and to ourselves, we want no part of unjust gain. Wisdom gained by good instruction and teaching will last us a whole life. We must never allow ourselves to be led, enticed by those who want to include us in their sin. We must not consent. At stake is every part of us, our reputation, our integrity, our health, our lives. We are a body of believers. We are Christians. We know that we have a beginning and after. Like I said, we were sinners called out of darkness. And there are those that are still in their sin. So does that mean that we should shun all sinners? No. But we must be careful. What David Huggard said, I think, is good counsel. And listen to how he said we should address, address this. We note that Proverbs seems to consider such sinners as beyond help, those that would entice us into sinning. We, this side of Christ's cross, need to protect ourselves from evil influences, but we need to do more. Here are four suggestions. Number one, be concerned. Beneath the shells of the rude and hostile, of the greedy and wayward, are persons made and loved by God. Be careful how you show your concern. Such person, persons are hot to handle. We have to monitor our progress and see whether God is using us to open them up to divine love and life. Above all, we need to evaluate ourselves for any negative impact they may have on us. Be realistic. Some persons are better equipped in spiritual gifts and emotional stability to work with the rough and tough. We are not the Savior. Jesus is. We must reckon on our own limitations and at the same time rejoice in God's goodness and grace. Be thankful that people who seem as hard to handle as cuddling a porcupine are not beyond God's embraces. For our own good, we may have to limit our contact and shun their company completely. But God is in the business of changing lives, and we do what we can to contribute to that change. That should be our burden of our heart, guarded, guarding our own hearts, but always willing 
to bring others to the truth, the knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We have heard today God's wisdom and the capacity to not only understand something, but also to act accordingly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask that we view wisdom as a gift of great importance and worth, Lord. But I again ask that we understand that it only comes through knowing who you are, Lord. We pray that we continue to have that hunger. Whether it's coming together to worship and praise you and to hear your word or that you reveal it through our personal time of study and your word on our knees in prayer before you Lord but equip us allow us as those that are given responsibility to teach and encourage others Lord that we're always asking first that your will be done and that you are the one doing the equipping to us and through us. Thank you again, Lord, that you are a merciful God. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.